Carjacking old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act the fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think it's tough. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 285, before we bring our guys in here to give you a great episode today, uh, tremendous show notes, and we had a vigorous warm-up as usual uh, before the show, but wanted to thank our 50,000 subscribers. 74 countries, grassroots, MLB front offices. Uh, we appreciate the support you've given us. You've made us the newest podcast network on iHeartRadio. Uh, we do these shows for you, so continue to support us. Give these guys five stars after the show. Gr- write some great comments. And uh, we continue to battle the podcast world analytics, just like we do in baseball. And uh, with the show today, we're gonna, we've are gonna we had some great articles by our friend Kevin Kern, and uh, the one in particular where they're I commented on Facebook where there's an assault on meritocracy out there, and I think the guys are going to get to some of that today here. So with that, Mark, Will, welcome back to your show. Great to be back, guys. Yeah. I got a question for you, too. I know it's in the show notes, and I don't mean to skip around on it, but I've been waiting to get you two on uh, to to talk about the Seattle Mariners situation with with Kirby out there going out in the seventh. You know, we, we know there's a lack of training to get the guys there physically. There's a lack of training mentally. This generation of pitcher is dumbfounded by what we're asking them to do on, on our side. Uh, but uh, well, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on, on that. Uh, you know, how, how does that happen? Not, not just performance-wise, but then the result of going to the media right after and kind of bashing his skipper. Well, I, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's not necessarily what's being taught in an organization, but it's what the guy grows up with, you know. Um, you know, the problem in today's world is, is that these guys are, we've discussed it many times on our podcasts about the travel game teams and the showcases and that kind of stuff. And these guys are always taught, um, you know, they don't do anything wrong. Nobody wants to question them. Nobody, they, they, they fill them. Uh, they're putting players at a big psychological disadvantage because they, they're teach, they're, they're taught to limit what they can accomplish and achieve, never break any records, never do anything special. It's good enough. Don't go the extra mile, just do what's good. And they sell that to these players from when they're young, that uh, you don't want to get hurt, come out of the game. I did my job to put the team in a position to win, which was never stated. We never said that when I was playing, no play, no pitcher ever said I, I was glad to put my team in a position to win. We wanted to win the game ourselves and finish it. Oh, I, I saved my arm. I came out of the game with a lead or tied uh, so I won't lose the game. That's what's happening now. Guys are afraid to lose the game or they've been taught that, hey, six innings is good enough. Let me out of there. I, well, I won't. If it's tied, I won't lose the game. And if I got a lead, the only thing, good, the only thing bad that can happen to me is nothing. I can win the game or I get no decision or they save their earned run average. They want to save their earned run average. You know, um, I asked out of the game for the team's sake. That's basically what, what Kirby was saying 
that he wished he'd had done. I shouldn't have been out there. So he threw the staff under the bus. Um, I don't put your, uh, this, they don't want to put their quality start in jeopardy. So they come out after six innings. That's, that's, that has a lot to do with it because these guys will get paid because they had a quality start, which is ridiculous. And I know many good baseball people say, if you were going to have quality start, it had to be at least seven innings. You know, so that's kind of where um, I'm at on this thing. Like, I don't think it's necessarily Seattle. I know the people that run that organization. I know they've been taught, they've been taught to, to know better than what he did. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to go down a little different route. Mark is, uh, you know, I was a good pitcher as a young kid. I, you know, little league all-stars. I, I, I think I struck out 16 of 18 guys and threw a no-hitter in an all-star game. I grew up when I, as a starting pitcher and idolizing starting pitchers that from the time I got the ball, I was finishing the game. I did that through Little League, through Babe Ruth League, through high school, through uh, summer baseball, uh, and then into professional baseball. This is a whole generation of kids that are groomed and they become the elite ones start going to showcases and that's that's all they play during the summer. They don't ever go out to start a game to finish a game. They go to a showcase and they blow it out for two innings and they get, either get a scholarship or they get a big bonus. And then they get into pro baseball so they basically have been groomed their whole life, not at all with any of the mindset that you and I grew up with, Mark, and our whole generation of pitchers and the whole generation of pitchers up until probably the mid-90s when showcase baseball became very prevalent in youth baseball. And uh, all of a sudden you started, you know, in the draft you started seeing – some of the better pitchers be closers in college and not starters and all. And, and it's like, I, it, it, it's so ass backwards. You know, like I always say, I'm not a math major, but if I have a pitching staff and I add up my nine innings and I have guys that go seven innings all the time to start, um, I'm going to have a hell of a good pitching staff, a hell of a good bullpen that's not overused. And, like, to me, that's the obvious common sense thing that just jumps out to me that is being missed in the game. So you have guys, you know, you know, he had no idea, you know, probably has no idea how bad that sounded when he said that. Yeah, he didn't get that he didn't get it. Well, that- you know, the, the sad part is how many of play, today's players were listening to to say that and go, what's wrong oh, with yeah. that? Why are they making a big deal out of that? No, you know that. that's what's happening because it's, you know, the problem is like everything in society is driven by greed and money. Right. If you can make money and not have to do as much work, it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. They don't you know, want to be the best. They just want to be paid like the best. And unfortunately, people are getting paid like they're really good when they're only throwing five, six innings at outing. You know, uh, last week I was in New York with uh, the Yankees and Milwaukee series, and uh, I was there for Corbin Burns' eight no-hit innings. He had 106 pitches, 
honest to goodness, they hit one ball hard off of him the whole day. And when he didn't go out for the ninth inning with 106 pitches, I was like, wow. I get it. You have Devin Williams, and he's unhittable. Probably think, okay, let's go with a combined no-hitter and win this game one nothing. But I, I, I just, you know, be a hard, you know, you know, I was at Lorenzen's no hitter this year. Uh, they let him go out and he threw the no hitter and he wanted to stay in the game. There was no, no if, ands or buts. I, it would have been interesting to see what the, what the conversation would have been had Rob Thompson wanted to take him out of that game. So I just, you know, you know, I just would have had a hard time coming out of a no hitter after eight innings. Yeah, nobody's hit a ball hard off me the whole day. And we see that all the time, though. Will it's not only Burns, but there's been other guys that have been in the same situation, and uh, you know they don't want anybody to throw like over a hundred pitches. Once they get over a hundred, even if it's a hundred and two or four, it's like, oh my god, he's going to get hurt. You know, something's coming up. You know, like. You know, you you, you just you, it's it's unbelievable what's been ingrained in these guys' minds when during our generation and even a generation or so after that, you know, you wanted to be a man, you wanted to be the man, you wanted to be the guy. Everybody said that guy's a stud, and the way you achieved that was eating innings up, battling when you didn't have your best stuff, and going nine innings and winning the game. Uh, you know, doing extraordinary stuff, you know, we're not allowing people to do extraordinary stuff. That's what I said before. One of the other podcasts is nobody will ever strike out 20 guys again, even though everybody strikes out. Now the guys still don't pitch long enough to strike out 20 like Roger Clemens did. No. So that's really sad that I go to a ballpark and I can see Cole pitching and he's on his game and he's dominating. I know he's not going to finish the game. I know he's not going to get any special strikeout thing, you know, because you read about it now. The guy goes, oh, he struck out 16 guys yesterday. Unbelievable. You know, like it's because it doesn't happen anymore. No, no. You know, so, you know, that's the sad part about the thing. You know, I, I looked at a thing. I looked it up. And, and I found this deal about, I wanted to know when this, this hundred pitch mark started um, uh, when they started limiting it. And it went back to 2001 in 2000, there was 9.3% of guys that threw 120 pitches in a start 9.3 in the next year, 2001, 4.8 through it. And it's gone down ever since then. You know, Mark, I will say, um, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time and we're privileged to different things that we hear and there's things that the public doesn't know about. Um, When workman's comp became so prevalent in our game and so expensive to owners, I think, and and injuries started occurring, I think we, we tried to start playing God which I don't think you can play God. You can't play God and and say, you know, uh, I want to get a perfect arm action. I want to get a perfect delivery. I want to protect them. I want to never have a stressful inning. 
I just want him to stay healthy. It happens in baseball. You know, you know, like we talked about Kevin Apier, who you had, you know, nobody would teach anybody to have that kind of delivery arm action and anything. Everybody in baseball would have thought that he would have been kind of injury prone, that he never got hurt. And Mark Pryor was deemed the guy who is, uh, who, who is uh, the guy who was never going to get hurt. He had, he had the biomechanic delivery with Tom House. He had spent time with, he was perfect and he spent his whole career hurt. So. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre um, to say the least that, that people don't, you know, uh, they're not recognizing that the road that's been gone down uh, isn't working and they need to learn from the past. I mean, that's what, that's what the greatest leaders do. They learn from the mistakes of people in the past. That's what great generals do. Right. They've studied all the generals. They've studied what people have done and they've learned so they don't make that same mistake or they've learned something really good from them that they can use. It seems to me they've just thrown out the window and said, well, that doesn't work anymore. You know, the old methods don't work anymore. Well, you don't do them anymore. So how are you going to know if they work anymore? Right. I mean, that's you know, the and, joke. And, you know, Dave typed in there about the workman's comp thing. And I, I will say, because, you know, uh, think about this, Mark, from when we first started on the management side, how much more prevalent in meetings your team doctors and trainers are as you're talking about a player and they'll go, well, no, you know, we don't, we, we probably won't have any interest. He was hurt last year or he had this injury. He had that injury all of a sudden. And then, he, you know, even in the draft where, you know, we're not going to take this guy. Our doctors don't like this. Our doctors don't like that. You know, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. You know, but let uh, me ask you this. Are they going to err on the cautious side if you're a team doctor and you're making an evaluation to pay a guy $100 million? Yeah. All the time. All the time. All the time they're going to say. So then the guy goes someplace else and pitches four years and wins a Cy Young Award right. and takes the team to the World Series. But our guy turned him down. Hey, and you know what? He doesn't want to lose his job. He likes being the team doctor or the evaluator I've of uh, injuries, you know? And Mark, you're making a great mark. The points that you guys are making, it's, 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 I hope our audience is picking it up because we talked about the pitchers being fragile mentally, not wanting to be great. We've talked about it with, with hitters too. We've talked about it with scouts. Now we're talking about it with doctors. It's a syndrome right now. You guys are making a great point where these guys don't want to stick their neck out because they'll never get fired for the person that they don't sign. They'll get fired for the person that they do. There's no doubt, Dave. I've been saying that for, for 15 years, you know, they, they, they make their money in their doctor practice and they're the team doctor and they get paid for taking care of players, but they're also getting paid to consult and they don't want to lose that $150,000 consulting fee uh, by saying, you know, we should sign this guy and the guy gets hurt. God forbid. Well, everybody gets hurt now. So, you know, let's stop playing God. We can't play hey, God. Yeah. Let's find guys who can go play, who can go pitch and if they get hurt, they get hurt. You know, if if I would have, if they would have had a medical on me when I got drafted, now I got drafted and signed. I was a second round pick for the Twins. I had a knee injury playing football when I was in high school. 
I heard it many times doing other things. I wore a brace through my entire career. 11-year career, I had a knee brace on. Um, I had surgery scheduled a couple times, but I built it up so strong that that I decided not to do it. And uh, I made it through my whole career, and I had a torn ACL. When I finally did have surgery as a coach, they said, you don't have an ACL. You must have tore it when you were like 17 years old. And uh, if I would, if they would examine, I pitched for 11 years and, and led leagues and minnings pitched and complete games and wins and stuff like that. And, and pitched for 11 and never missed any starts. And I had no ACL. Now, Mike Jackson, who pitched for me, who was a really good reliever, um, he pitched for years. And I think he had two ACLs that were torn. And I think he even had an elbow that had problems and he pitched, he still pitched and did, it was quality. So, you know, not everybody's the same. You there? I think Will muted himself there. But so with Mark, with, um, you know, we're talking about these two guys and I didn't think about this part of the pitchers for uh, fragile mindset, but, you know, we talk about them not being trained physically or mentally, but you mentioned possibly, being so fragile, not wanting to go out there because not wanting to make the mistake. Almost that, I call it trench warfare syndrome. They don't want to stick their head up because it may get shot off. And so they keep it down and they just keep that mediocre style, that uh, status quo. And even though we're talking about pitching as we're having this conversation, it's it's prevalent throughout organizations, it sounds like. Not just on the field, but everywhere. We saw Boston, shoot, the guy from Boston just got fired yesterday, uh, Bloom. Um, yeah. Talk about mediocrity. Well, you know, it's funny you made that because I had a good analogy. I, I have a close friend that I played ball with uh, my first year. We've been friends ever since. He's from the Boston area, and uh, he was in Vietnam. And I remember one particular time, some kids let some firecrackers loose uh, behind our dugout, and he dove from the field into the dugout um, <laughs> because he just came back from Vietnam. And he had a lot of problems. He had to, you know, he had to get some help. And he eventually quit baseball and got help and he's doing great. But he tells me this story that he says, you know, I was in Vietnam and uh, we were back at the at the base camp. And he said that, you know, my, my uh, sergeant or whatever, uh, lieutenant or something said, you know, we've got some guys out there um, that are trapped. And we got to go out there and get them. But, you know, you guys have been out all for days. He says, you got to you got to recover. And he said, you know, the whole time I was in Vietnam, he says, I was scared, scared beyond belief. And he said, that lieutenant said, I'm going to go out there. We got to get those guys back. And he said, I told him I'm going. And he says, you don't have to. And he says, I don't have to, but I have to. He says, and I went and he said, from that moment on, he says, I felt like I was a warrior, even though I was scared before. He says, now I felt like I was taking it to them. Right. And he says, and I went out there and we lost most of our entire company. And he says, and I was lucky enough to get back. And I saw some terrible things. But he says, that day I turned into a man because I made that decision that I was going to do that. And I know that that's a really tough analogy, 
But in baseball, there has to be a time sometimes when you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. Right. I'm not going to come out after six innings. I'm going to go seven, eight, and nine. I'm going to finish what I started, and I'm going to win this game for myself and my teammates. And there's not enough of that attitude anymore no. that's, a, in, a, that's taught throughout their childhood. Uh, you know, people have gotten soft. Yeah, we've lost a lot of our competitive edge. And, uh, you know, the just the, the camaraderie of a group of guys that spend the whole year together, that have each other's back, that want to go kick the other team's ass every day. Um, you know, Dave, I think you might have saw the, the video I posted of that brawl when Pinella ran over Carlton Fisk. Yeah, yep. Um, there was no love lost on that field and there was no love lost every day on the field when I played and when Mark played. And now you see guys hugging and you see guys giving, you know, a guy, you know, I I'd hate to be a pitcher now when I just gave up a, a double and my shortstop high fives, the guy that hits a double off of me. Well, there was a period of time where they didn't let you do that. Oh, I it was against the team rules. You could yeah. not go out there and talk to a player on the other team during yeah. stretching or when they were both doing sprints before the game and everything yeah. like you see now and they give big hugs oh, and everything. No, they would love because they thought it gave a bad picture to fans. Yeah, it's a hug. Now fight. they don't care anymore. No, they don't because because it's all about the individuals who jump from team to team to team all over baseball for money as opposed to playing for a team and go, go, go try to beat the other team's ass every day. I didn't like the guys on the other team when I played. I, you know, you met them off the field. You know, they were nice guys. You know, you might talk to a guy. With, you know, I remember talking to guys in instructional league and go, oh, he's a good guy. When I was playing against them, I didn't like them. All the time. You know, there were, I, I told so many teammates, I said, you know, when I played against you, I didn't like you at all. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you know? it's just, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, things have changed so much, but I go back and I, <clears throat> I looked this up and, you know, I was always wondering, you know, when all this started. That's why I brought up about the 100 pitches, you know, when it kind of started dropping down to 100 pitches. And, you know, it's hard to find, but I did some research and I found this article in 2009. Think about it. 2009 by Perry Arnold, and it was entitled, Why Can't Pitchers Throw As Many Innings As They Used To? And he came up as a writer. He says, my theory uh, is that they've invested so much in pitchers now with time and money and and pitching talent is thin, <clears throat> and uh, uh, no one wants to take a chance on ruining a good arm. That's what he said in 2009. I'm going, well, how does that worked out? Right. You know, uh, you know, it happens anyway. Okay. Then he, then he puts down someone or some group of strategists has changed baseball without question, workout regimes, training programs, weightlifting and nutrition are all better now than they were 30 or 40 years ago. So why can't pitchers handle the same loads pitchers did years ago? Well, I'll, I'll bring up another, and it's a more nefarious reason uh, that the Players Association uh, might want to dig into it. They don't want to pay for horses. When Verlander and Scherzer are making $45 million a year, 
They don't want to pay for that anymore. They'd rather pay for a bunch of relievers who are going to make less and one or two starters that throw 200 innings or 175 innings and not have to pay that big salary for a Max Scherzer or a horse that goes out there and finishes what he starts. Well, you know, the thing is, even though those guys don't even finish it anymore, no. with, the, with the advent of, of arbitration, which happened many years ago, and I know Major League Baseball wished they had never allowed it. Right, right. Um, but think about it. So if you're the best, even though the best now isn't even close to what the best was 20 years ago or 30 years right. ago, um, they get paid astronomical because they're still the best. They're still better than everybody else. You know, but the product and what you're seeing out of the guys is not the same. It's not the same thing as watching when you watch Scherzer. That's not watching Jim Palmer. No, it's not watching Bob Gibson. It's not watching Tom Seaver. No, you know, because those guys carried the load, won the game, legitimately won the game themselves without any help from anybody in the bullpen. Well, you know, I I think I sent you that picture, Mark, of Palmer, Dobson, Cuellar, McNally's numbers that year that they all won 20. They won 20 games. They threw 1,100 innings and they had 78 complete games. 78. Mm -hmm. I don't think think we've had 78 complete games in the last 10 years in the big leagues. No, no. You know, it's 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 unbelievable, you know, what people are seeing now and they're being sold that this is really special yeah. when they they forgot or never knew what was really was special. You know, what's um, a good rotation as far as innings? You know, at the end of the season, you get a five man rotation. I mean, you want to get what close to a thousand innings out of that crew. Right. Um, what are they getting nowadays out of a five man rotation? Well, they're not going to get. Even close to that. Not yeah. even close. Not you even know. close. You're going to have one guy with 200 innings, and everybody else is 165, yeah. 170, 180. Yeah. If you got a really good team. Yeah. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you have one with 200 innings. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, and think of guys through 300 innings at one time. Right. Um, you know, and 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 a majority of the pitchers pitched over 200 innings that were a regular rotation and pitched on four days rest. You know. You know. I, you know, Mark, I, like, like I was talking to my son this morning. He was asking me what we were going to talk about. He was excited for tonight's talking about this. And he said, what was the most innings you ever threw? I think I threw 239 innings one year in the minor leagues. That was a 140-game schedule. Um, and I think another year, the year I got mono and I missed seven weeks and probably about 11 starts, I threw – 175 innings that year. You know, it, it, it was just a different world. And, you know, I didn't hurt my arm. My arm was fine. I mean, I was able to go out and pitch. Right, right. Well, you know, in that, that same guy's article, Perry, Perry Arnold's article, he says, you know, this is 09. He says, now pitchers are babied. The lowest minor leagues, from the lowest minor leagues, they are not conditioned to pitch long into games. No. No. You know, they're conditioned to be in shape, but they have they don't have the endurance or they don't want them to pitch any farther. Um, they're, they're restricted tremendously on 
on on being able to achieve that. It's it's not going to happen because in their own mind, like we said earlier, they don't want to go any farther because they've been told that's good enough. No, you know, Mark, and you brought it up. Uh, I think a couple of our podcasts ago. You know, they've cut back on the on the length of spring training to save money for the minor league players. I, you know, I, you know, when you and I played. My last start in spring training, I would go seven or eight innings. Yes. I, mean, I, I, you know, because we were there that long to be stretched out. That's right. right. And, and that's why even when I was uh, the director of pitching for the Rockies, we had to piggyback guys into the season. Right. They didn't have enough in it. You couldn't take a chance of them not having their arms build up properly. Right. And, you know, when I was a pitching coach in the big leagues – I used to have my starting rotation guys, the five guys, we had five guys. I would have them throw on four day rotation. I would have two of them back up each other. The other ones would be on a four day rotation. All of them would be on a four day rotation. I would carry that till they got five innings in. Right. Once they got five innings in, I split up the other two guys that were piggybacking and I went on a five day rotation like they would during the season. That way I allowed them to get enough pitches in to right. get their arms ready for the season. Right. Now, I will tell you this, that many, many years when I was coaching, even with very, you know, some teams with some limited ability, early in the year we overachieved because our pitchers were in better shape than a lot of the pitchers that we were pitching. It's even teams that had way better pitching. Those guys hadn't been extended. You know, I coached for Jack McKeon. I'll never forget this. And he believed the same way as I did. Spring training. I had uh, I had Beckett, AJ Burnett, Dontrell Willis. I had all these guys, and we started. I said, "Listen, Jack, I like to have guys go on a four day rotation, you know, till they get to five innings." He says, "Oh, I'm all good on that." And he says, "But I got another one for you." I said, "What's that?" And he goes, "When we have Dontrell and he's supposed to go three innings today, and he throws twenty two pitches, let him go four innings." Right. And I go. Wow, I'd never done that. And he goes, yeah. He says, we'll do that. He says, because, you know, maybe the next next outing when he's supposed to go four, he's going to have trouble. You know, maybe he's not throwing strikes or they're hitting him around and you have to cut him short at three. At least in his mind, he knows he's already gone four. Right. You know? And so we did that. If I had a guy backing up, I used to tell my the pitcher that was pitching second, I said, listen, I'll give you a heads up if we're going to start you an inning later because he may have to extend it. And it worked great. It worked great. We started the season like gangbusters again. Our pitchers were in better shape starters than everybody else because everybody was going to that limiting in pitches in spring right. training. You know, and you had to do that in order to achieve what you wanted because spring training got shorter and shorter. Right. Now you talk about the minor leagues, exactly right. They're even shorter. Yeah. So you can't, you know, you're not going to have some guy throw a complete game opening day. I always, my early years as a pitching coach, I just to tell the manager, my job is to have you on opening day, the starter go out there and you don't have to make that decision whether he can go nine or not because he can. You and know, if he's the, going great. You can leave him in there because I've got him built up for, you know, the, and, and the other thing that, that you see in, um, in spring training, uh, all these cities have built beautiful new complexes and they want as many games as possible. So you have 
so many non-roster guys that have no chance of pitching for you in the big leagues or helping you that are in big league camp to go play in so-called big league games in spring training. And that's why you see spring training games now where teams walk 15 guys because there's not enough big league pitchers to just play the games. And if just the big league pitchers and the non-roster possible guys were in camp and you played less B games and just played games every day and got your pitchers ready, they would all be stretched out. Your relievers would be stretched out. Your best pitchers that were going to pitch at your upper levels would be stretched out. But that's not happening. You have these guys, and honest to goodness, I go to spring training games, and Dave, you and Mark were on my text where I go, you know, like three days in a row where they walked, you know, I was doing a team this spring where they walked over 15 guys every day. I mean, well, that's, that's you an know, embarrassment. Hey, you know, I, I, people are paying to go watch these games. It's an embarrassment. Well, we, you know, I remember I was with one club. I won't say the club. It was uh, a number of years ago. And and uh, for some reason, the owner didn't want to pay like six-year free agents, right? you know, to sign six-year free agents. So we had a whole bunch of A-ball kids that were prospects, but they were out of a ball in big league camp. (laughs) And so they're in big league camp. So they're the guys eating up the innings at the end of the games. I can't tell you how many innings there were where I had to use two or three pitchers to get through the inning. Right. Because they were a ballers. Yeah. You know, and everybody's going, you know, then they started saying, Oh, the pitching has been terrible this spring. And I said, wait a minute. Not the big. These ones. are the guys. These are the guys that are going to be on the team. Yeah, yeah. How did they do? And they go, oh, they they did pretty well. Look at that. They didn't give up any hits. They struck out a lot of guys. They pitched really well. Yeah. ERAs are good. I go, yeah. The reason the team has such bad numbers is because we have all these A ball guys that aren't ready to be here that we were forced to use. Yeah, it's uh, it's become so complicated in such a negative way. Uh, having to deal with those type of things, having to deal with the politics of a city that built a beautiful complex for you. And, you know, you know, we're going to need at least, you know, 16 home games. So you got to play all these B games. When one team goes on the road, you're playing another game. And half of the guys on the field, you know, Mark, that was the other thing. You know, you used to have to have X amount of big leaguers on the field especially with the money people are paying. They go on their spring vacations and they go walk on, onto a field and there's one guy who's like the 25th man on the roster on the field and the rest of the guys are like from A ball and double A. And the people are going, well, who the hell are these guys? And then you play a four-hour game where there's where between the two teams there's 30 walks. You go, this is an embarrassment to our industry. And it's not yeah. the kids' fault. They're just not capable of be playing. Should be playing in a big league game. No, no, no. You know, like you know, going back to what we talked about with Kirby and what's going on. You know, I looked over some of my notes that I put in years ago, and I said, "Here are some statements you rarely or never heard years ago." And this is this is really appropriate when you hear the last one. 
Right. The first one is I gave my team a chance to win, then turned it over to someone else with three plus innings to play. Right. How many pitches do I have? Right. That was another thing you never heard. No. If he would have caught that ball, I would have won. Right. You never heard that. No. Uh, the umpire lost that game. Right. Uh, I never get the runs. I never get the runs. Now, I will say I've had major league pitchers say that, and I've had to jump down their throat. Right. Um, uh, bad breaks, it's not my problem. I just have bad breaks and bad luck all the time. Right. Um, that's as good as I can do. <laughs> right. How, how many ever guys ever lost a game and said, that's as good as I can do? No, I know. Uh, or I quit. Right. Uh, I tried my best. How about that one? Right. I tried my best. Now, here's the one that hit me when I was reading my notes. He left me in too long. Oh. I put that down as something you never heard. I read these notes years ago. Wow. And I said, and I'm going, wow, that's exactly what Kirby did. He left me in too long. Right. I mean, these are the excuses that these kids come up with because they don't want to take responsibility. They've been taught not to have responsibility. And this is what we've bred. You know, go ahead, Will. No, I, I was just laughing. I remember uh, my first year and you had taken over as a pitching coordinator and we were having pitching coaches at every level. And we had that meeting and he said, and, and this had crept into the the – vocabulary of the players in the late 80s and early <laughs> 90s. My bad. No, oh, no shit. It's your bad. <laughs> you know, and, it, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you made it clear to the managers, the pitching coaches, the pitchers, that my bad bullshit is not going to play in any of our dugouts anymore. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, it just. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I couldn't. I couldn't stand that, as you know. I mean, I mean, once in a while, a guy would slip, right? Like throwing a side or something, and he'd bounce a ball to the catcher, right? And he would say, "My bad," and I would walk right out in front of him and look at him, and he goes, right. "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry." Right, right. Because right. it was so ingrained in him. Right. You know, like, and I used to, and I yelled at the catcher. I said, Hey, you tell him, you know, it's his bad. I'll tell you what, that's yeah. a, you guys, it's a deflector for, for yeah. them to get it off of them. And yeah. uh, you hit a pet peeve of mine. That's my, my uh, as soon as I would hear that, I would tell him, you know, and I'm pardon the language here. I think we said it before, but I hear my bad. It's like, no shit, it's your bad. The whole stadium knows it's your bad. Right. It's, a, right. it's a prevention for them, it prevents yeah. them from playing the next play. That's what I hate about. Yeah, it. you yeah. know, or 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 the infielder that Olaid two balls and clanked one and then threw one away and comes in to announce the dugout after the inning. My bad, guys. Yeah, no, no shit, you're bad. <laughs> we're, Unbelievable. We're, we're losing four nothing now. Well, so. you know, there's other other things that that are happening now that you never really saw many times ever before. Sometimes never in history. Um. Let's look at this. We already talked about it the other day. We've seen a pitcher, a position player, pitch four innings in a major league game this year. Yep. Uh, we've seen a cell phone drop out of a player's pocket <laughs> when he slid into third base. Right. Yeah. And, and and I can't remember what it was. Some broadcaster said, 
you know, he should he should put that on his phone where he says, "I'm sorry, I can't talk now. Uh, I just uh, I'm standing on third base." Right, promoted to the minors. Yeah, and then the, then there were uh, there was a minor league game this year where there were 17 runs scored in one inning, one inning. He says the Boston Red Sox lost the game 28 to five this year. Okay. Oh well, the, the Phillies Boston- Phillies were losing. I mean, they were the, the Phillies lost a seven-one lead in the ninth inning to lose to the Mets eight to seven. Right. I mean, you know, and we're not even talking about. I used to bring it up even worse when I'd see stuff like this, like how many runs were scored after two outs. The amazing thing is sometimes there's more runs. Almost all the runs are scored without any with with two outs. Right. That's the amazing thing that happens. The guy can't even get another out. You know, the White Sox led 8-2 to two against the Guardians entering the ninth. The final score was 12-9 to nine with the wow. Guardians winning. Wow. The White Sox were winning 8-2. to two. They ended up losing 12-9 to nine in one inning. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, it, it's, okay. the, no. the, how about this one? 20. Okay, this is unbelievable. There was a half inning thrown this year. 28 pitches thrown. No balls put in play. Three four pitch walks, two wild pitches, and three strikeouts. Looking, huh. in one freaking inning, is that unfreaking believable? Yeah, no, well, yeah. No, see, nothing is unbelievable anymore because we've gotten to that point where, when I leave the ballpark, I go, "Wow, I've never seen that. That's unbelievable." I know. I used to, I used to always say that. Now it's just like, you know, there it is again. There it is. Well, again. you know, I don't know what the total is this year because it's not completed. But last year, there were 132 guys pitched in the big leagues that weren't pitchers. Last year, 132 different guys. Okay. In the decade of the 90s, only 48 guys threw. In a decade, only 48 position players pitched in a big league game. Right. In the 90s. So baseball's better? Right. Really? Well, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Know, I, I think I saw a stat where Tony Gwynn struck out less in a decade than uh, like Joey Gallo did in half a season or whatever. You know, it was, it was something ridiculous like that, you know, where – where it just doesn't matter. You know, like, you know, Mark, like I always think, you know, Dave Kingman probably would have made a lot more money in this era. You know, when, when we look back, like Dave Kingman was always kind of a, I mean, he, he, he was in the big leagues because he had unbelievable raw power, but he used to strike out over 200 times and nobody really wanted that at that point in our industry. And it was always kind of shunned upon and, not laughed at, but looked down upon. But now it's, it's like no big deal. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a strange, strange thing. And, uh, you know, you know, there's some observations that I have um, and I don't have a problem with starting pitchers that carry the biggest load and they win, actually win games and they help the bullpen taste strong. I don't mind if those guys get paid. You know, they should get paid because 
they're doing more than everybody else. Right. Uh, but we got so many guys that can't get through five innings and they burn the bullpen up. Right. And guess what? They still get paid. Way too much. You know, yep. Uh, you know. well, they, they actually think, uh, then they actually think they did something special because they went five innings. Well, I, I, I have to laugh when I sit in meetings and somebody that was nine and 11 and threw 150 innings and had a four nine ERA well, that's not a bad investment at fifteen million a year, and I go, "Wow, where?" Oh, you, they you make know, that statement all the time, on, you know, on broadcasts. You know, where? You know, oh, he was a good sign. You know, he was nine and eleven with a four nine seven, and he threw one hundred and fifty two innings last year. He'll be a good addition to the rotation. Mid- yeah, mid rotation, <laughs> mid rotation starter. My ass. Yeah, and they go, and you guys will be talking about it. And they'll say, this was a good sign. This was a good sign. This guy's probably going to give him a, at least 160 innings. Right. And I'm like, what? That, like, that alone makes it not a good sign. Well, they've lowered the bar, right? They've lowered the bar, just like you guys have said, yeah. to the point yeah. where it's, it's become acceptable, where people watch the games and, and you guys are appalled by it. I'm appalled by it. But other people are that are indoctrinated right now, kind of like our society. They just kind of shake their head like, yep, that's a good mid, mid-level starter right there. Well, you know, how about having to fix things? You know, like, you know, we've talked about the the time clock and the bases being bigger and everything. So, you know, I have a good friend who's in baseball, uh, been front office, he's, he's scouting. Um, uh, he has a long history in the game. And he was telling me the other day, he says, think about it, Mark, all these guys are taught to throw maximum effort all the time. So they have to regroup between pitches more than anybody ever used to. Right. So they take more time. And he says, so what's that do? They lose their rhythm, their timing, and their control suffers right. because the tempo slows down because it's like they're lifting, uh, like they're doing deadlifts of 500 pounds and they got to rest before they can freaking go back and do it. He says, so how do we fix that? We speed them up by putting a time clock rather than just have them speed up. Right. Um, then there's a, the, the analytics said, uh, base feeling didn't matter. Right. You know, for so long, baseball didn't matter. And that's what baseball signed into. They said, oh, they don't really matter. Well, guess what? Nobody stole anymore. Right. So now they said, shit, you know, analytics told us it didn't matter, but oh, I guess it matters now because now they're putting bigger bases in so they'll get guys to steal more. Well, and again, you have to put an asterisk by anything these guys do because nobody's going to, Ricky Henderson didn't have bigger bases. So, I mean, you try to, you think outside the box without thinking about the box. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, I, uh, I shared this with you, Mark. I told you I got in a little back and forth with someone. A-Rod came out with a very brief, uh, video on, I think, Instagram or something, and it was tremendous wisdom and common sense. Folks, I want to tell you, batting average does matter. Uh, Major League Baseball, too many teams are saying it doesn't matter, and here's my proof. The best team in baseball is the Atlanta Braves. They have the highest batting average. The worst team in baseball are the Oakland A's, and they have the lowest batting average. Folks, it truly does matter. So I posted that on Twitter. I said, I, I agree, A-Rod. And I got a comeback from uh, someone who played professionally, 
someone who's highly intelligent that went to a highly in, high academic school who buys into baseball is the best that's ever been. It's harder to pitch now. It's harder to hit now because nobody has ever thrown harder than they do now that uh, strikeouts don't matter. Uh, On-base percentage, home runs matters. So he gives me a hypothetical, who would you rather have? Uh, Player A, who was Kyle Schwarber, or player B, who is Araz from Miami? I said, I, I happen to like both players a lot. They're two different players. Um, Kyle Schwarber brings a lot to the table. The sum is greater than the individual parts because of who he is, his makeup, his leadership in their clubhouse. He's got incredible power, but he strikes out far too much. But he does walk a lot, so I will take him, and he is not a good defender. The other guy, I love him. He's hitting 358. We need more Arazas in baseball. And he could not understand that having everybody trying to be Schwarber is not working. That's why there's so many strikeouts. Not everybody can. Not everybody is as big and strong. The ball doesn't jump off of the bat the way it does at Kyle Schwarber's. There's a place for guys who can hit and get on base. And then he said, well, Araz has only scored 68 runs. And I go, yeah, look who he has hitting behind him. Look who hits behind Schwarber, who scored 100 runs. He's got Harper, Real Muto, Castellano, um, Trey Turner. He's got... Uh, Alex Bowen, he's got Stott hitting behind him. Hey, hey, Rod Carew uh, scored runs because Harmon Killebrew hit behind him. You know, when you put a good lineup together, you got to have people that can hit for the big boys to drive in. And it was was like we went back and forth, and finally I just had to walk away because they never see the forest through the trees of, of, of the world that they've created of what they believe in and that, that, that you can't value a Roz who's hitting 358 and has 68 RBIs on a team. That's not very offensively challenged, not a deep lineup, but I want more of those guys in the game. I'm going to give you three responses. Well, that prevents me from having conversations like that with knuckleheads. Cause I, I, I posted the same one on Facebook. Yeah. And the first one I always do is that I do not answer hypotheticals because they just want to, they want to be right instead of get it right. Basically. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, the second one I always say, do, okay, with my answer, would you like information or affirmation? Tell me if you want me to tell you my opinion or you want me to just tell you you're right. And we can move on and then I'll block you. Yeah. from Facebook. But yeah, I hate those hypotheticals because that's the yeah. whole thing. They want to be right instead of get it right. And, and, and you know, I, I've written both players up. I would acquire both of them. If I had them in my lineup, I'd have a good team. Yeah, I exactly. Other good pieces. It's not, the, you, you know, not everybody has to throw hard and strike guys out. Not everybody has to hit home runs and hit the ball in the air. The game has a lot of things that it brings to it. Hit and runs, bunts, stolen bases, good defense. Gosh, good defense would be a real treat to watch. I'll bet you, I'll bet you Rod Career was was upset when he they traded that kid to the Marlins. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was. Because that, he was probably a major fan of that kid. Yeah, that know? kid. I you know, I saw him. I went back, I saw him in uh 
Cedar Rapids, 2017 or 18 as a young kid. And I go, wow. He was this one of those kids, you know, how when we first saw Manny as a young kid, Mark, he yeah. just went, wow, this kid's going to hit. You know, they go to the plate to hit. You know, they don't they have hand eye. Ball. They hand eye. They know the strike zone. Yeah. You know, they like, don't go up there to walk. They don't go up there to, to, to try to have launch angle. They just want to hit the ball hard somewhere and they attack the ball. You know. Well, tell me about this. We got a lot of young kids in the audience, and and you guys know I talked before. We're we're heading to our last tournament of the uh, the season. Been going since March, and the three things that I try to impress upon them: the fight against all the travel stuff they've done in the past, all this indoctrination they see, because this generation hasn't seen anything but analytics and right. home runs and strikeouts and max velocity. The three things we try to accomplish each game: pitchers. I don't want any walks. I want you to pitch to contact. Yeah, hitters. I want you to put the ball in play, no strikeouts. Fielders, all I want you to do is make the fundamental play. That's it. Make the fundamental play. And if we do those things, we're going to compete in every game. Um, uh, I mean, argue against that. Be the Facebook crazy. Or well, No, I, I, I can't. And let me add uh, a Joe Madden spe- uh, saying, respect the 90 feet. Run the bases hard. Run the bases smart. Um, you know, uh, and then, you know, Remember, every day you're on a baseball field is also a learning experience. Try to learn from things that happen in the game that make you a better baseball player. I can't argue against any of those things because they're all common sense. Well, I think that's common sense isn't common anymore, right? Right. No, and you know, and that's why we have this show, and we want to hope listeners listen and take something from it and realize that. You know, it's up to them if they're parents to understand what's best for their kids, and maybe going along with the crowd isn't uh, isn't the best thing to do. Right. Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you guys want to wrap it up with our audience? We've kept you for almost an hour here. Great show, tons of content, and I think it's well, it's it's not like we've got to search for ammunition, right? It's out there every day. And no, you know, no. The show notes about gambling too. Do you, do you want to touch on that? Yeah. This is a, a, a strange thing because it was a relatively short time ago that the worst thing that could ever happen would be gambling in baseball. I mean, we had our all-time hit leader that got banished from the game um, because he gambled on his own team. Um, you know, that's worse than just gambling is gambling on your own team because you can have part of the impact. Uh, you know, they had the Black Sox scandal. They all they they put a uh, explanation point on a no gambling. They put a form up in every dugout, in every every clubhouse that is read by the general manager, assistant general manager before every season starts about gambling and the repercussions of it. That's why it's hard for me to feel sorry for Pete because, you know, he heard that every time. That's like telling you, you do this, you will be banned for life. That they was tell funny. everybody that. That and they the usually, first, I think they made the, you sign. That was the made, first sign you saw on the clubhouse door. Every and and, and we were made to read it from top to bottom because of how big of a detriment the Black Sox scandal was to the game from when I signed in 1977. And what was that, 1919 or 1908 or whatever, that the Black Sox scandal? And then the Pete Rose thing was a later point, but it was so anti what baseball was about 
and um, well, this is what this is what greed does. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, they're getting billions of dollars from gambling now. They're going the to ownership love that. They love it because they're making money. Um, team values are going up. Um, everything seems to have precedence over winning and playing the game the right yeah. way. Well, you know, you it's amazing to me that that Pico be so great greedy about making money that they have compromised themselves in the one area which was always uh, a no-no. Well, uh, there were two social media meme pictures that I saw. I think Kevin posted one yesterday. It was a full house at Yankee Stadium from the 1950s and very prevalent in right center field, there was a sign that said no betting. And Kevin <laughs> just said, now we have FanDuel, DraftKings, this one, that one. We got 12 different, we got 12 different operators paying money to have signs and actually have gambling in every stadium in baseball now. And the players get paid for doing commercials. For and it. the players get paid for doing commercials and the number, last number I heard, it was over $3 billion last year. Might be close to $5 billion this year that will be you know, Okay, here's a question. This, uh, this uh, baseball guy mentioned this to me one day. I hadn't thought about it. He goes, you know, we'll have young guys playing baseball. Maybe guys that they're from, they're from an area where they have no money. They've never had money in their life. Okay. Um, or a guy that's on his last legs, he's trying to make as much money as he can. You know, he's an up and down guy. He doesn't know if he'll ever get back up into the big leagues or not. And what happens if one of these gamblers comes to this guy? And, you know, they gamble on everything now. Oh. They're not gambling on, like, who wins and loses. Oh, they go pitch They're gambling pitch. on pitch to pitch. pitch they go pitch. on strikeouts. I say this guy's going to strike out three times today. Well, guess what? What if somebody says, I'll give you... $100,000, $400,000 if you strike out twice today, then you can do whatever you want the other advance. You know, Mark, I've and always... I will give that to you. I mean, I never thought about that before, but my friend said, think about that for a minute. And I go, wow, I don't, you know, that could happen because, you know, players, players are greedy too, man. Well, being an Italian that grew up in New Jersey... Uh, I thought of it right away, and I called Kevin, our Hall of Fame, Kevin Kiernan, our Hall of Fame writer, and I wanted to write a book or a movie, uh, how the Sopranos infiltrate Major League Baseball in the ways that you just said. Umpires, uh, players, uh, you know, up and down players. Hey, this kid just got called up. Let's get him in a compromising situation. And, you know, he can make more on one one day by doing this for us than anybody he'll ever dream. Well, you know, the thing is, the access, there's more access to players. Yeah, exactly. Because, than there was before. See, we used to have that, you know, Major League Security would do their, their meeting in spring training with every team. And they brought an ex-mafia guy in and he talked about how they'd try to, you know, butter up and, and, right. and, and do stuff for players and give them stuff and get them in compromised positions uh, so they could control them. Well, now there's way more access to those players than there used to be when they used to have those guys come through, uh, through spring training. So, you know, it's, it's, 
you know, we're aware of it. I know, but you know, it's just one more thing. Everybody's got to keep their eye on right. that shouldn't have to. Well, and, and, you know, uh, Doug Carpenter sent me a, uh, Mark, you, you and I both know him real well, really good scout that works for the Indians. And he sent me a picture of an old NASCAR driver who had probably about 40 different advertisement emblems on his, on his NASCAR uniform or whatever that he was wearing. And that's the other thing that's infiltrated the game. Just for money's sake, the uniforms now have different advertisements that are starting to creep on almost every team's uniforms. Yeah. And I get it. You know, the game needs to generate money, but it's we're cheapening the game in so many ways. You know, and at some point, you know, you know, that old Jeff Foxworthy thing, you know, the, you know, you know, that, uh, that, the you know, bear aspirin car passed the, <laughs> you know, this car, the, that car, you know, pretty soon it'll be, you know, pitching for the Padres today is the Taco Bell right hand. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. it's just too much. So, well, I mean, it's not too late to correct some of this stuff if we get the right leadership. Right. People people have got to get into leadership that understand that the past has some important features to it. Right. And and character matters. Right. And money isn't everything. Right. Um, and the fans matter. Yeah. And you can't give keep giving them a cheaper product and selling them that it's a better product. And that's why that's how I'm gonna end it, Dave. I've got two questions for you guys and, and I agree with the the fan thing and, you know, this load management thing cheats the fans. But my question has to do with history. And I want to get your guys take on it because you both have a tie with one of the individuals. And we talked about the other one. So last week was the anniversary of Ripken breaking the streak yep. for Garrick. And then this past week on 9-11, which has another uh, unfortunate uh, happening attached to the date. But in 1985, Pete Rose broke Ty Cobb's hit record with a little looper to left center off Eric Shaw. Right. Neither records were celebrated by Major League Baseball uh, this okay. last week and this week. Do you find that uh, you f- first? Do you find that odd? And second, is, is is it intentional? And third, is it part of the problem? I find it appalling. Well, yeah, I think it's part of the problem. Maybe the people that have been put in charge of it don't know the game or the history, so yeah. it doesn't come across as an idea they want to do. Yeah, you know that's the way I see it. You yeah. know, it's it's uh it's it's limiting it's 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 limiting the important things and in right. you know when you limit the important things in a sport or in history um it's hard to learn from your mistakes yeah they uh no, i would think every year on that date cal ripkin would be invited back to especially this year when they're 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 doing great would be invited back to throw the first pitch out that would be like every year on the calendar i would think if i'm the marketing director yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, what a uh, what a, uh, a group of values that he had and that he brought to the table. And, you know, I still remember his speech that night when he said, you know, I just wanted to come and do my job every day to the best of my ability. Well, I think he, he I think he holds the record for the most consecutive games um, innings pit played. Yeah. 
Yep. And I was there. I was coaching the Orioles at the time when, and I was coaching for his dad. And his dad made the decision. We were getting blown out in Toronto, and uh, he came off the field, and I was standing next to Cal Senior, and he says, "Hey, Bub," and Cal turned around, says, "Yeah, Dad," and he goes, "Take it on in. You're done." And he said, really? He says, yeah. So Cal just went on into the clubhouse. I said, really? You just ended his inning streak. And he goes, it's hard enough to play every game. He shouldn't have to play every inning. Right, right. And that's what his dad made that decision. And the amazing thing about that is if his dad wouldn't have been the manager, he probably would have played every inning and he probably would never made it to that Right. to that level to play that many games. Right. Because, you know, if he was playing every inning of every game, there's no way he would have had that record. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a fitting way to, to end it uh, today. Guys, great show. Ton, tons of content. Now, next week for our audience, we, we won't be on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I'll be on the road. We'll be back packed back half of the week, Wednesday through Friday. So usually we're not right now. You guys are in a regular group on Fridays, right? Mark and Willis. Yeah, sounds good. I like it. I like it. I'm good next Friday, and uh, we may have a guest. We may not, but uh, we'll Mark and I and Dave will figure it all out. Yep, we'll we'll let our audience know midweek. Uh, you know what to expect on the show next week. But guys, great show today. Anything you want to leave the audience? With? I know we we kind of wrapped on Ripken, but you, you two have. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I will just say that last statement that I said at the start of the show. Uh, in American life, as well as in sports. We've always tried to be the best. Uh, when people in groups change the rules or limit opportunities or vision to be the best, it slaps us all in the face. Uh, those are uh, words words for us all to live by. I lied here. I got one more question for you guys. You, you reminded me of my last question, Mark. It's kind of a patriotic question here. We all kind of we all fall on the same side of of, of that scale. Um, if our audience doesn't know that already, I think they do. But we send stuff back and forth, both life and, and baseball. But baseball has been America's pastime from, from the beginning. And people associate baseball with America. Uh, we all have our stories of growing up, dad playing catch. We talk about the movies. I oftentimes look at what they're doing to baseball. And I, 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 I text Kevin this yesterday. I, I almost think they're doing it intentionally to make us hate the game, to separate us from that patriotic attachment to baseball. You guys have any thoughts on that or am I reaching? Um, you know, I don't, I, I think it's just basically, uh, you know, so many people in society have been driven down just like we talk about pitchers being, being trained or, and, 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 and their belief systems changed. Um, uh, we're having a lot of people that a lot of things are, are through social media and, and the media in general are, are pushing that that go away from that, go away from, you know, where we came from and what we do and what the values of America are. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's important to, I think, have shows like we have and and people that that write articles that tell the truth um, uh, rather than hearsay, maybe could, should, might happen um, to stimulate people. Uh, to think the wrong way because they're not listening to the facts. They're just listening to hyperbole. Yeah. You know, uh, my, my take is, Mark, you talked about leadership. We have a society and a country right now that lacks true leadership. Uh, 
the leadership we have now does not have the same values and priorities that all of us have, Dave. That's why it all looks like it's on purpose. Yeah. They can't see the forest through the trees because their, their bottom line is just dollars at this point. Uh, you know, Kevin's article this week about assets and liabilities, it's not human beings anymore. Um, we, we're, we've lost sight of a lot of those things. Well, it's, it's keep a job, get a job and make money. Yep. That's, That's basically the way society is. Instead of doing anything, the job. anything to keep the job, anything to get the job. Right. And I got to make the money. Yep. Or have the power. We forgot about doing the job, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You got to do the job and all those things take care of themselves. That's yep. right. Well, that's a fitting way to end it, especially talking a little bit about Ripken at the end. So, But uh, appreciate what you guys do every week. You bring it every week. There's no need for a bullpen when you guys step to the hill to do the show. Uh, it's a complete game, nine inning every single week. So we appreciate you, Mark and Will, for what you do. Uh, for our audience, thank you as well. 50,000 plus subscribers. Give these guys five stars today. Write nice comments for them. If you have questions, reach out. This show is for you. And because of you guys, and I I believe we have a very sophisticated audience. They've got great feedback. We've now battled the podcast world analytics and we beat it. And we are now the newest podcast network on iHeartRadio. So thank you for that. Uh, With that, episode 285, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley. And we'll be back next Friday for our audience. Thanks again. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve.